We are three weeks away from the 2021 NFL Draft. What's up, guys? Chris Havery with you on a new episode of Chargers Weekly alongside Daniel Popper of The Athletic. Listen, I, I promise a draft analyst every single week, I've, I've got a hybrid situation of a beat writer and a draft analyst today, right? Oh, yeah. this I turn into a draft analyst this time of the season. So I, I, I actually appreciate you labeling me that because I'm trying to put the work in to be as close to a draft analyst as I can. Uh, I know you are, man. Well, la- last week we had a good conversation with Brandon Staley. If you haven't checked it out, um, do so. Uh, I think the only other time we didn't have a draft analyst on was during free agency. So we're back full steam ahead, man. Um, you have a couple really good pieces out on the athletic over the last week and a half. I think the latest one was uh, some different scenarios in the first and second round with offensive tackles and corners. Uh, Before we get into that though, when you see how the top of the draft is shaken out right now, I mean, and this is fluid. I mean, there could be even more moves in the top 10, but you see the San Francisco 49ers move up. Uh, I think four or five quarterbacks are going to be off the board before the Chargers select the third team, which is good news for L.A. Absolutely. And, and there is a scenario, right, where if the Falcons don't go quarterback, you're sort of expecting the first three teams to go quarterback. But if the Falcons don't go quarterback, then where does that fourth quarterback fall? How far does he fall? And is he there at 13? And in that case, the Chargers could be a potential landing spot for a quarterback needy team. Like, let's say the Patriots are looking to move up all of a sudden the Chargers are in a position to trade out of 13 to a team that's looking for a quarterback. And, you know, there's so many different scenarios and there's so many different ways that it can play out. You know, there are certain scenarios where the Chargers would absolutely stick at 13 and pick, right? Like if Rashawn Slater, Panay Sewell fall to 13, that's a no brainer pick. If you, if Patrick Sertan or JC Horn is there at 13, considering their need at corner, uh, that would be a no brainer pick. But if all those players are off the board, right. And the Chargers think they can get the Chargers think they can get a solid corner later in the first round. The, the likelier option is that they can get a solid offensive tackle later in the first round. Trade out to a team that is looking for that quarterback. Look, trade out for a team that's looking for a wide receiver. Pick up an offensive tackle or corner later in the first round, then pick up an additional top 100 pick. They already have four. Adding another one would only allow them to flesh out this roster a little bit more. But they're sitting in a really good spot. There, there, there are scenarios where they could get a really good player at their team. And then there are scenarios where they could very easily trade back and pick up additional draft capital. And there are even scenarios where they could trade up just because they have so much draft capital in the top 100 that they could, they could move up if they really like Panay Sewell and he falls out, out to say seven with Detroit. That's a possibility where they could trade up. And I don't think it's particularly likely just because the organization covets their draft picks, but, but it just gives you a sense, everything that I've said over the last two, three minutes, all the different scenarios that are at play here. If you're talking about Trevor Lawrence and, and Zach Wilson, and we're hearing about Mac Jones potentially at three, Atlanta is that next domino. If a team is in love with Justin Fields or Trey Lance, do they move up? Does Atlanta move out of the top 10? Do you have four quarterbacks go with the first four picks? And then it becomes very interesting for a team like Cincinnati, who has Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, and Panay Sewell on the board at five. So um, I can envision a scenario, like you said, Chargers trade up, they trade back, they they stick at 13. Uh, it's it's really going to be just dictated on what happens before them, obviously. And, you know, the, the Broncos, they, they get a guy like Kyle Fuller. So you would think that they're out of the cornerback conversation. When does the run on corner start? Um, do you move up to get a guy like Slater or Sewell? Do you stand? I, it would be hard for me to envision both of those guys being there at 13, though. I mean, yeah. 
especially if, if we're talking uh, potential franchise left tackles, typically, Pop, they don't get out of the top five. Right, but the reason you're you're getting some of this conversation about one of those guys falling to 13 is they're not – I mean, Sewell, in, in my mind, is a prototypical left tackle. But with Slater, he's kind of more aligned with some of those bigger guards that you've seen. Like Ali Marpet of the Buccaneers is a really good – like physical traits comparison to Rashawn Slater. So a lot of people think that he's a bona fide left tackle and that he's going to slide in there as a day one starter, but there are teams that's going to, that are going to think because his arms are a little shorter because he's a little on the lighter side for a tackle because his height is a little bit shorter in terms of tackles that he might be a better fit as a guard. And then once you label a guy as a guard, he's obviously his positional value is going to be a little bit different, but there'll be enough teams. I think that view both those guys as a legitimate cornerstone left tackles that it's hard to envision them falling to 13. But the, the interesting thing is when you look at the board, there aren't a ton of teams, right. That are like really looking for a left tackle. I mean, even Cincinnati went out and signed Riley reef. So they're not necessary. And after they drafted Jonah Williams in the first round a couple of years ago. So they're not necessarily looking for a left tackle. And when you look at our Bengals writers at the athletic have written about it, if they draft Panay Sewell, he's not necessarily going to be a left tackle right off the bat. They probably move him to guard initially. So that changes their positional value approach. Right. So maybe they are looking more at Jamar chase, you keep going down the list, you know, Miami could take a tackle at six, but would they really trade back up for a tackle? Or are they more looking for a wide receiver to help to in the passing game? Detroit has a left tackle. Carolina might be looking for a left tackle. Probably not. Um, they just pay, you know, they have uh, Moten, the right tackle, Taylor Moten on a, on a sizable deal with that um, franchise tag. So maybe them, but Denver's got a left tackle. Garrett Bolton just gave him a huge contract. Dallas has a left tackle and Tyron Smith. The Giants just drafted a left tackle last year. So you go through the list. Philly's and, the team at 12 that, right, that, right. Could, that could be in the market for one. And, but, and frankly, Dallas, Tyron Smith is, is no – he's no spring chicken. Right. But, you, I mean, he's he's young enough where you could kick that can down the road a little bit and maybe, you know, maybe it's not worth it to take a left tackle with your first-round pick considering how valuable those picks are. But, you know, there are two sides to every coin, right? So so you can cut it both ways. You could see a scenario where the Cowboys are absolutely not going to take a left tackle, but playing devil's advocate as you just did, you could obviously think about it. I think the Eagles have way too many needs to to go left tackle. I think it's possible, but they're, I think they're wide receiver or cornerback. That's where I think the Eagles are at. But again, like they could go down that road if that's what they think is necessary. So, you know, is there a scenario where Sewell and Slater get to 13? Yes. Is it likely? Probably not. Yeah. And then that's why you wrote about it too, with the different options. Do you, you know, potentially select a tackle in the first round, go corner in the second or vice versa. Uh, we could be looking at a situation where if both of those tackles are off the board, that means JC Horn or Patrick Sertan, one of those two is probably likely on the board. And then we're talking about guys like Christian Derisol, if you like Derisol. Elijah Vera Tucker is another guy who I think Daniel Jeremiah projects as an all-pro guard in the NFL mm -hmm. who got some snaps at left tackle this past year. So that's another guy, a local kid, that could be there. So I agree with you. I think the Chargers, if you do stand pat, you're going to get a really good player. Um, let, let's talk about this first-round corner class because mm -hmm. a lot of people think Farley's the best corner, but there's obviously some potential in injury issues yeah. there. And, and I don't think he's going to be ready till, uh, till training camp by all indications. Um, JC Horn, man, I, the more you study this guy and, and you see what he able, he was able to do in the sec, he's really intriguing. And then uh, 
Patrick Sertan, too, uh, another guy who I think would look really good in Brandon Staley's defense. Right. When you think about how much success Brandon Staley had last season with the Rams, what did he have? Jalen Ramsey, arguably the best press man corner, arguably the best corner in the league. Michael Davis has a lot of potential, but is his ceiling a dominant number one press man corner? I don't really see that. You know, I think he's a really, 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 really good number two. I'm not sure if he's a Jalen Ramsey level or in that kind of ballpark of, of a great, great number one corner. Um, so that could be something that the Chargers are looking for, um, especially you look at the depth chart. And that's also a factor in this as well. Chris Harris is going to be 32 in June and he'll be a free agent after this season. So they need somebody to fill his spot in the depth chart next season, assuming they move on from him. Now, if Chris Harris has a great season, plays 16 games, avoids injuries, all of those things, you know, he could be, they could very easily bring him back and that approach and prognostication for him could change. Um, but if they do decide to move on from Chris Harris, they don't have a ton of depth at corner on this roster, especially someone that can play press man at a high level, like Brandon Silly loves out of his corners. So that's certainly a possibility. And, and that would be a, a, where the value and the need align, you know, but there's questions that come out of that, right? You go corner in the first round. What are you going to do at left tackle? Now, Trey yeah. Pipkins is Trey Pipkins is on the roster and they're still high on him and, and there's hope that he can develop. Like he has all the physical tools. It's just about getting that his, his technique, his fundamentals on par with that athleticism and size. Um, now, there's certainly a scenario where he takes a huge jump from year two to year three, getting a little more time in the field if, if offseason workouts are a little bit I'm the so same. Glad. But but what do you do at left tackle if you take a corner in the first round? That's that's a question. I'm so glad you mentioned Pipkins, though, because this is a guy who I think people are forgetting, like he was a third round pick two years ago. Right. So like he he is he was a developmental guy from jump. So I think it's really important to, to note that this is a big year for him, mm -hmm. um, whether or not he could step up and be the left tackle that obviously remains to be seen. Um, but he, he does have uh, you have some depth there, at least with, with Trey. But I, I think people are forgetting that the, the, the book is still not written yet on Trey Pipkin. I'm not saying he's the he's the franchise left tackle, but I do say let's let's figure out what he is in 2021. I think this year will give us a really good indication. And, and you wrote about this, too. I mean, if you don't take a tackle in the first round, I, I do think that there is some depth in this class. Um, you mentioned a guy in your article and Jeff Schwartz mentioned him too. He hasn't played in a couple of years, but Walker little from Stanford. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, Schwartz said was one of the best tackles in all of college football just a couple of years ago. And you, you forget with obviously not playing for, for two whole years, it, it may take some time to adjust at the NFL level. But I mean, there are some guys that could drop to that spot where the chargers are selecting the second round that you can envision being a, a starter. It may not be that franchise cornerstone left tackle, but it could be a very solid uh, option at left tackle. Yeah, absolutely. And Walker Litter is such an interesting prospect. He, he's like, he is the epitome of your 2021 draft prospect, right? Like a guy like in no other year would you have a guy that missed two full seasons. Like maybe there's been guys in the past that had like back-to-back -back season ending injuries, but it's so, so, so rare. But this is a guy who tore his ACL in 19 and then opted out of 2020. So you're going, you're going back to 2018 to find tape on him. Um, so it's really a question of, I, I think some teams will be more willing to take risk on minimal tape and other teams won't. So it's just a question of how much risk are the chargers willing to take in terms of, in terms of not having a lot of tape on a guy, but Walker little was, I mean, he was on a track 
and on a path to being a the, the top tackle on the board. You know, he was on a on a first round path and then obviously took these last two seasons off. So he would be a really intriguing prospect. But going back to what you mentioned about Trey Pipkins, it's just about having options, right? Yes. And the good teams can't rely on massive jumps from young players. You can't sit here and say, we are expecting this guy to go from a replacement level or below replacement level player to an above replacement level player. Because relying on those kinds of jumps is how you end up in bad situations. I mean, and you can and you can look around the league and see those types of things. You need multiple options so that you have a contingency plan in case Trey Pipkins does not make the kind of jump and develop the way you want him to do, that you have another option on the table at left tackle. And that's why I think it's so important for them to bring in a left tackle. Like if Trey Pipkins is, in a, is, is filling a role this year where he's more of a swing guy, that makes a lot more sense to me. That's a safer route. That means that you're setting yourself up for multiple options, right? So you go and take a tackle in either the first or second round. You have competition at that spot. If Trey Pipkins makes that jump, fantastic, right? He's your starting left tackle and you've got more depth at the position in case of in case of uh, injuries. And Brian Bulaga, they can hypothetically get out of that contract after next year, depending on how he plays this year. Now you have another high premium pick tackle on your roster that could hypothetically move in at right tackle, which would allow Filer to stay at guard and not have to move to tackle, which means he wouldn't have to replace guard. So like having depth on the offensive line is absolutely essential. It's essential to have it at all positions, but the lack of depth, I think is something that has been pretty glaring with this team over the last two seasons. It's a big reason why they haven't been able to reach expectations. So that has to be part of the equation is not relying too much on Trey Pipkins making that kind of jump and having a contingency plan in case he doesn't. All right. So corner in the second round, uh, Greg Newsom, I, I think, is probably going to be a first round. Yeah, right. Totally, I, I totally agree. There's no way, like, they would have to trade back into the first round to get him. I know a lot of a lot of teams are super high on him. Asante Samuel Jr. He's a guy who's kind of a, that fringe first, second round pick. He could be available when the Chargers are there. Um, if the Chargers were to go offensive line in the first round, do you think corner second, third? Yeah, I think I think it has to be a second round pick, and just because of the various reasons that we listed before. And here's the interesting facet of it. They could go in multiple directions. Like they don't necessarily have to target exclusively a boundary corner with this pick. Now, ideally you'd get a guy who could play inside and outside, but those are very, very difficult to find. Um, but Chris Harris is the slot corner yep. and he's going to play boundary in, in base, but the charges are going to be in five or six DB packages, 80% of the time with Brandon Staley. So that means Harris is going to be playing predominantly in the slot. It's it's similar to the role he would have played last year if he had spent more time on the field, and it's the role he did play when he was on the field. But if they move on from him, they don't really have a slot guy behind him. You know, Desmond King would have been that player, but they traded him away, and then he walked in free agency. He's no longer a part of the picture. They tried Tavon Campbell in the slot last year, and he was a little inconsistent there. So I don't necessarily think they have a guy on the roster. Yeah. So they could go and look for a slot guy in the second round, ideally a guy that can play both both ways but Elijah Molden out of Washington is the top nickel corner on the board he played nickel at Washington he's there he's sort of the top nickel guy available if they take him then you're sort of banking on some of this depth at boundary corner um, whether that's Brandon Faison whether that's Campbell um, but you know Asante Samuel Jr. is a guy that doesn't necessarily have the size to play outside but he's a super instinctual player great ball skills um, he's a guy that could play both inside and outside but the interesting thing about a lot of these second round corner options is they're like big traits guys, right? They're not necessarily, you know, proven players. Um, 
a lot of it would be a bet on size, on speed, and those kinds of physical traits that you're looking for. So the three guys I listed in that article you were talking about that that could be there in the second round, Eric Stokes and um, Tyson Campbell oh, out of yeah. Georgia, two cor- two Georgia corners. I think Stokes is better than Campbell. Campbell has some uh, like ball skills issues that have popped up. He's not necessarily great at playing the ball. And Daniel Jeremiah said something really interesting on, on the athletic football show last week. He's like, that's the one thing I've learned in scouting. One of the, one of the main things that changed my philosophy is like, if a guy doesn't have great ball skills in college, that's not necessarily something you're gonna be able to change in the NFL. Like very rarely does a guy develop ball skills. So that'd be the concern there. And then um, Joseph out of Kelvin, Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky. Um, that's a guy that I, great traits, right? big six, one fast. Um, but he's had some, um, you know, red flags in terms of character. I sort of hate using that term, but I mean, he, like the the Kentucky coaches like told him to opt out last year, uh, which is a a little bit concerning. So, you know, the chargers generally don't take risks on those type of players in early rounds, like, especially with a premium pick. So that's the guy that I, I might be, you know, tough to align with the chargers at that spot, but that this is where it becomes an issue, right? Because the first, the guy you're taking in the first round has a clear path to being a starter. And those are the more talented guys with fewer red flags. As soon as you start taking a player in the second round, there's a reason that they're going to be there in the second round, as opposed to being a first round pick. So there's going to be pros and cons to all of these guys. Asante Samuel seems like the safest player in terms of his skill set, but the size is an issue. And you wonder if he can hold up on the outside, if he's more of an inside guy. The other three guys I mentioned, big traits, guys, big physical, great speed, all the type of physical measurables that you're looking for, but there are some concerns with their tape and how they played in college. Outside of tackling corner, I feel like we've, I mean, for good reason, uh, we, I think as, as a, a beat, just chargers analysis uh, fans, they've talked about offensive linemen in corner, any other positions that are intriguing to you outside of those two that, you think the Chargers could spend, you know, maybe a third, fourth round pick on and, and potentially be a starter in, in year two, let's say. I'm looking at tight end, too. And, and after Kyle Pitts, there was a huge, huge gap. But uh, I talked to Jordan Reed, the Draft Network. He mentioned uh, uh, Brevin Jordan from Miami as a pass catching option uh, and, uh, and uh, Tremble from Notre Dame, yeah. another uh, tight end prospect that he was pretty high on. Um, any other positions or is, is tight end something you're thinking about? Yeah, I got, I got four positions after those two. Like I think it's tackle and cornerback are the top two needs. And, and I think it goes tackle than corner, but I could, I could hear an argument that it's there's those are sort of interchangeable in the first two. After that, I think it's tight end safety edge and interior offensive line. Um, so just going one by one in terms of, you know, the hole that's there on the roster at tight end, they need some blocking there. So I don't know if necessarily they're looking for a pass catcher. Now that's like, that's something I think that that player could develop. The guy that you mentioned that I think makes a lot of sense is Tommy Tremble. Cause he's a ready NFL blocker. I mean, yeah. you watch some of the tape on him. He moves people. Now he wasn't used much as a passer in the Notre Dame offense. Um, but think about the scenario he would come into with the chargers. You've got Jared cook. Who's been one of the most consistent pass catching tight ends in the league over the last decade. Um, and then you've got Donald Parham, who's sort of a rising, really intriguing pass catching option who needs to develop more as a blocker. Um, and Jared Cook 
not necessarily known for his blocking, more of a pass catching tight end. That's sort of what he's been in his career. He's done it damn well. <laughs> so you're sort of looking for who can block, who can come in and do what Hunter Henry did in the running game. Cause that's really what they're missing right now. He's a great, great run blocker as a tight end. Um, and it's sort of crucial on the edge there. Um, especially when you're running some of that outside zone, outside zone to have a tight end who can really move people and hold his own in the running game. So that's why Tommy Trumbull makes sense to me. He can come in and do what Hunter Henry did as a run blocker pretty much immediately. Um, and that's sort of how you can use him. And then he can learn under Jared Cook for a year and sort of develop as a pass catcher. Now, I think a lot of people look at Tommy Tremble and say, okay, he's got the physical tools to be a good pass catcher. He just wasn't really used in that way at Notre Dame. So maybe they can get more out of him. Uh, but that's a guy that's really interesting to me. Safety, moving on to the other one. Safety is really interesting because, um, you know, Rayshon Jenkins played really well. And I thought he would have made a lot of sense to bring back just because of his versatility. He showed the ability to play free safety and strong safety. I thought he was better as a free safety. And that's sort of what they're looking for to play alongside Derwin James. We never really got to see him play and start for a full season with Derwin James, which I think is a shame because I think those two guys would have been absolutely outstanding together. They complement yeah. each other so well. But now it's sort of moving on to the next era. They let Rayshon walk. He signed a big contract in Jacksonville. And so now it's Nasir Adderley's turn to step up and take over that free safety role. Um, that was the that was the the plan from I, – I remember DJ specifically said when they drafted Adderley, if, if you were to uh, build a safety in a lab to pair with Derwin James, Nas Adderley would be that guy. They've played zero games together. Yeah. So, you know, I thought – that they would bring Rayshon back just because Brandon Staley loves to use three safety packages. And with a, with a third safety, if they had Rayshon and this year, for example, they could move Derwin wherever they wanted. And that's sort of what they did with John Johnson last year with the Rams. They played him some at big nickel. They played him some at linebacker and Derwin could do that exact same thing. Cause he can play all over the field. Then you got two quality safeties in the back, sort of man that two shell. Now it's like, who's that third safety. So when they go to those packages where they want to move Derwin James around and sort of play him in a rover role and play him at linebacker, who's going to come on and be that third safety. Now it could be a Lohi Gilman. Um, I think they need a little more talent at that spot. So even if they believe in Nasir Adderley and think he's going to take a massive step going into year three, which is really year two, because he missed all of his rookie year with that hamstring injury. I think they could, they could use a really talented safety um, with one of those top 100 picks. I think it would make a lot of sense, regardless of how they feel about Nasir Adderley. I think it would make sense to add some depth to that position. Um, edge, I think Uchenna Nwosu is poised to be the breakout player on this defense. I mean, you saw what Brandon Staley was able to do with Leonard Floyd. We've seen flashes from, from Chenna throughout his career. I mean, obviously the, the, the play of his career was that sack against the, the Ravens in the playoffs, but you, you've seen legitimate pass rushing talent out of him. Now yeah. I think he's going to benefit for playing in a different scheme where he's more of a three, four edge rushing outside linebacker, as opposed to a defensive end. I think that's, that fits his skill set and body type a little bit more. Um, they signed Kyle Fackrell, who you know had a ten and a half sack season with the Packers in eighteen. Yeah. Um, but I think bringing in another talented edge rusher would make a lot of sense. You know, maybe with one of those top one hundred picks, maybe with a fourth round pick, bringing a guy with a lot of upside, a lot of athleticism, who d- you don't necessarily need a ton from him because you've got Joey Bosa, you've got Chenna, you, now you've got Kyle Fackrell, an experienced guy in the rotation. Maybe a fourth edge rusher with a lot of upside who can come in and and in third down situations and get after the quarterback. I think that like makes a lot of sense. And then interior O-line. I mean, Ode Abushi was a great signing. The value of that signing was outstanding. He's coming off yeah. the best season of his career. He was he was stellar playing left guard and right guard for the Lions last year. Um, but he's only on a one-year deal. So you kind of got to start thinking for the future. They lost a lot of their interior line depth this offseason. Um, Dan Feeney obviously signed with the Jets. Forrest Lamp agreed to terms with the Bills today. Um, so you're looking, okay, where is their interior line depth? And this is a really deep interior O-line class, um, especially at guard. And they could find somebody in the fourth round 
um, that could come in and be a starter in year two. The guy I mocked to them in the fourth round is Ben Cleveland out of Georgia, just a big old guard, nasty. Um, and he could come in and, and challenge for that right guard starting spot, but at the bare minimum provide depth and be a starter in year four. So th- after those first two positions, those are the four positions I'm targeting. The, uh, the positional versatility of a guy like Vera Tucker too, that, that that's interesting to me because yeah. if, if you needed to start him at guard his rookie season, I mean, I think they kind of have their guys for 2021, yeah. but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've seen a lot of these, a lot of these top offensive line prospects. It seems like they can play multiple positions. Is it, it does it seem like that to you this year? Because I, I feel like typically when we, we go into a, a draft, there's like these clear cut, like left tackles. That's what you are. You're a left tackle. We're seeing a lot of guys like Rashawn Slater, who DJ has as his number one left tackle. A, a lot of people say he can play all five positions. You know, it almost kind of reminds me of like a, uh, like Zach Martin when, when he came yeah, out, right? That's who I was going to, that's exactly who I was going to bring up. I think a, a lot of the times you have guys that play tackle in college and their size isn't as big of an issue because the talent level isn't as great. When you get move up to the NFL, there are certain benchmarks you have to meet in terms of your arm length, you know, 33 inch arms and all this kind of stuff. And if you don't have that, it's hard for you to just be successful as a tackle just because the guys are so big and so strong and so athletic. Um, so I think, you know, if you're playing tackle in college then it's not, a huge sort of stretch to move into guard as a professional. Um, and that's sort of what you're seeing with Slater. He doesn't have the longest arms, but the people that know offensive line think this guy's going to be a great tackle, despite the fact yeah. that he doesn't have the longest arms. I mean, and, and that's one thing the Chargers do really well. You know, they're, they're not super focused on measurables and pro days and all of that stuff. Like it's, if, if they see you can play on tape, can you then play? they're going to draft you. Yes. Yeah. Like, can they, have they seen you play football at a high level on tape? That, and that really should be the calculus to any of these picks. Um, but the thing, the interesting part about Vera Tucker is he's played both positions. Like yeah. there is tape on him from 19 playing really well as a left guard. And then there's tape on him in 20 after he filled in for Austin Jackson playing left tackle. And he was like really good at both spots. Now the question is with his size, can he be a left tackle? I get the sense that he's really, he's really a guard. And so you look at it and, you know, before they signed to Bushi, I thought, okay, maybe Elijah Vera Tucker was in play um, just because they need to fill a starting spot. Now that they sort of have the interior of their line all set up via free agency, it's hard to imagine them spending that pick on Vera Tucker, unless they truly believe he can play tackle. Um, and, and that's certainly a possibility, but I, I, I think it's rather unlikely. Vera Tucker, I mean, we talk about the Pac-12, like they weren't going to play, right? The fact that he was able to get like six games in at left tackle, how much that's probably helped right, but throughout this process. Yeah. It's exactly why he's moved up draft boards, right? Like he was yeah. a second round pick, a, a good guard who could come in and potentially be a starter, right? And then all of a sudden he shows the versatility to play tackle in the Pac-12. And it's like, oh, okay, now he's now he's a first round pick, right? But that versatility is really important. I mean, you think about the, the issues the Chargers have had the last two years in terms of dealing with these offensive line injuries, you know, not having the versatility to move from guard to tackle or move from tackle to guard has really been a a troublesome trend for the team. But having a guy like Matt Filer, who's played both right tackle and left guard at a high level in the league, all of a sudden, if Brian Bulaga goes down, you're not moving to a below replacement level player at tackle. You're bringing in a guy who played, who's an above replacement level player, both at right tackle and left guard. So I think that versatility is really important. It's an interesting trend that you've noted. Um, but I think the more versatility you have on the offensive line and the more depth you have on the offensive line, the better off you're going to be. I kept you longer than I said I would, uh, but I want to end on this. 
the the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Chiefs. Just your thoughts on what they've done this offseason in free agency. And then looking ahead to the draft, uh, this division, we, we talked about the Chargers needing to win in the division and, and you know, to close the season with three straight wins in the AFC West, I think it was a big boost for, for the players that are going to be on this roster in 2021. But uh, just your, your thoughts on what the division looks like now, um, especially in, in, a, in a place like Denver, who uh, we still don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. Right, but that's really the only question. That's the thing. Yeah, that the that's what I'm saying. Like, they, right, they, like they, they did a did really well. good job. Yeah, like I think the Broncos, like they made a lot of really good decisions. Um, I thought they overpaid for Darby, but, you know, Fangio needs legitimate starting corners, right? And like that's obvi- that was obviously a priority for them. So they go out and they sign Darby. They might have overpaid for him, but that's a proven player. And they go get Kyle Fuller, who played his best football and was an all-pro under Fangio with the Bears in 18. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, they keep Von Miller on the defense like this. And they, and you know, they, um, you know, signed Justin Simmons to that extension. I thought that was really crucial because I think he's a fantastic player. They bring back Kareem Jackson. Like all of a sudden the defense is looking really strong and that's going to be the, the, the formula for them. It's like Fangio's, if you give him enough talent, he's going to give you a top five defense. The question is, can they get enough on offense, they've got the skill position players. The offensive, the, the offensive line is looking pretty decent, you know, especially with Garrett Bowles taking that step and signing him to that extension. It's like, can you get enough out of Drew Locke? Obviously, a lot of dominoes left to fall. I would be shocked if they go into the season with Drew Locke as their starter. Um, if they do, it's hard to see them being a super competitive team, but who knows? We've seen crazier stuff happen at the quarterback position. Yeah. Um, the Chiefs offseason was, was weird. Did you think it was weird? A little bit. I mean, it was because, I mean, it started with the tackles. Uh, yeah. Schwartz tackles. and Fisher, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like I saw something, too, where they still have a ton of cap space. Um, and I forget who tweeted this. I want to give them credit. But it's they basically said, like, they have a ton of cap space, which says maybe they were expecting some guys to come in that, that just didn't come in. Yeah. So over the cap has them at 11-7 which is, you know, they have, that's enough for basically one more signing if you factor in the, you know, the, their picks that they have to sign and then whatever they want to budget for in-season stuff. Um, it was weird to me. Like, you cut both of your tackles, and it seemed like they were making a hard play after Trent Williams. That's sort of been widely reported. That obviously didn't happen because they went back to San Francisco, and then they give Joe Thune, or Tooney the um, massive contract. Yeah, it's like, okay, they bring in Kyle Long. Um, it's sort of like, I don't know what to make of it. You know, they obviously made it a goal to upgrade on the offensive line after what happened in the Super Bowl, but did they really get a lot better? Like Mike Remmers is their starting right tackle again. It's like, I don't know. It seems like they sort of had a plan to like massively improve and they were going to cut their tackles and get a bunch of cap space and make a big run. And it just didn't like the plan didn't fully materialize. That's sort of what it seems like to me. Um, But hell, I mean, they got Patrick Mahomes. So like, you know, they're going to be, they're going to have a shot. And then the Raiders, like, who knows what they're doing, man? Like, I honestly, I just have no idea. Like, that, like having watched them a bunch last year, their offensive line was really good. They break it up completely. Gone, yeah. Trade trade Rodney Hudson, who, you know, we always say, Corey Lindsley, perhaps the best center in football. The reason we say perhaps is because of Rodney Hudson. Rodney Hudson. Right. They trade him. They trade Gabe Jackson. The way it all went down was really weird, where they were both originally reported to be cut. And then they lost leverage and tried to trade him. 
Um, Trent so, Brown you know, going to the Patriots. Right. They, they, they traded Trent, Trent Brown. So they basically tore the whole thing down and they're leaning into their young offensive linemen. Um, you know, John Gruden sort of beats to his own drum. So maybe they see something in these younger linemen that the rest of us don't. Um, but then, I mean, spending the money they did on Kenyon Drake, like no sense. I mean, there is no way that is an inexcusable signing. I mean, if you can get him at value, that's one thing, but they've got Josh Jacobs already and, and spending that much money on a free agent running back who's not going to be a starter and isn't going to get that much of a share of the snaps doesn't make any sense to me. So I thought, I mean, I thought the Raiders got worse among those three teams. The offseason that made the most sense to me was the Broncos. Um, but, you know, it's the AFC West. It's going to be competitive. And the Chiefs are at the top as they always are. Yeah. And like you said, it, it could things could change under center for the Broncos. And, right. You know, there's still moves to be made in in this division and really around the NFL. There's still some guys out there as we get closer to the draft. Um, I think the quarterback carousel is is not stopped quite yet. Um, yeah. You know, Broncos could take a Broncos could take a quarterback at nine, depending yeah. on how this all shakes out. Who knows? They yeah. can take a quarterback at nine. You know, maybe this Justin Fields stuff is complete BS, but maybe it's not. And maybe he falls to nine and the Broncos have a shot to take Justin Fields. Like that would be a home run for them. That's what that's what is so fascinating and why the draft is like my favorite event of all events, because it's like we have all this speculation leading up to a three weeks. We're talking about all this different stuff. And then something completely different happens on draft day. And, you know, there could be a guy who, who thought Darwin James was going to be there at, at, uh, at 18 to the chargers or seven, was it 17, 18? 17, 17, 18 yep. to the chargers. I mean, nobody thought Darwin James was going to be there at 17. Uh, so there's always a surprise, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens at the quarterback position in Denver, but the division is shaping up to be fun. I'm excited to see what the schedule looks like in May. Um, I could, I could see Herbert Mahomes, on prime time, um, maybe maybe a prime time game in Vegas, but we'll see. We, man. Haven't, we haven't gotten we haven't gotten like a like a real lead up to a Mahomes Herbert showdown yet, right? No. Because the first one, the first game, the first one wasn't supposed to happen, and the second right? one didn't happen. Right, so we haven't gotten like the lead up to a, a Herbert Mahomes game, so that's going to be a first this year, which would be exciting. Yeah, I can't wait, man. Yeah, uh, Daniel Popper, the Athletic, always great stuff. Read his stuff. Subscribe to the Athletic. Check out this Dane Brugler beast of a draft uh, preview too, man. Yeah, Dane the best always, around. The yeah, best, the best draft, stuff. the best draft preview you can get right there. No question about it. All right, man. What else you got going on? What are you, what are you writing about leading up to the draft? All right, so got um, mailbag this week. I got. Uh, we're talking to Brandon Staley tomorrow, so I'll have takeaways off of that. I got my mock draft 3.0 coming out on Monday. It's all draft all the time. Going to be doing analysis of needs, everything that you can possibly want to lead up to the draft. So keep checking that page, theathletic.com/team/chargers. I'll have you fully covered on all your draft needs for the end of this month. NFL draft analyst and Chargers reporter, Daniel Popper. Love it. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me, Chris. And that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to Daniel Popper for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Be sure to download and subscribe to the Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great weekend. And until next time, I'm Chris Hayreek.